bring in design closer. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Now before we jump in I have a favour to ask. I've been creating content as I've mentioned before in previous episodes for over five years all for the love of sharing knowledge to the global design community. Now if there's one thing that you can do for me and for the network is leave a review preferably a five-star one, as it helps grow our community and every little helps. Now, even if you don't leave a review, if you find it too difficult to do that, you can go one better by telling your friends or your colleagues all about This Is 8CD, the podcast and the trainings as well, available at thisis8cd.com. Now, in this episode, I speak with Peter Lofgren, a long-term friend of mine from Australia, who's now the head of design for Service New South Wales. We chat about design at scale and what this means and how Peter has approached his work across several large organisations and roles that he's held at Atlassian, ABC, which is the Australian Broadcast Corporation, Westpac Bank in Australia, and now Service New South Wales. So let's jump in. Peter Lofgren, a very warm welcome to This Is ATD. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you, Jared? I'm not so bad. We've uh, been speaking for the last 30 to 40 minutes, catching up. For a lot of the listeners out there, um, I've been friends with Peter for uh, a number of years. Peter arrived in Australia. We were just chatting there eight years ago. And, um, you know, I did meet him off the plane, but I met him shortly after it. And we, we became friends over those years. But Peter, for anyone listening today, maybe tell them a little bit about yourself, where you're coming from and what, where you're currently working and what you do. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Jerry. Uh, yeah, I'm from Finland, and I've got this one beautiful rally driver accent of mine, um, so that's the reason. And yeah, I've been around in, in Australia for eight years in Sydney primary, now currently on the Central Coast, which is for people that don't know, it's kind of like a hour and a half train ride from Sydney. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, currently the, the role that I occupy is Head of Design and Service in South Wales Digital Division. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing this job now for a bit over two years. And it's really, really quite a remarkably great place to be in. Yeah. It's a good place to be. For, for anyone who's not familiar of what, um, how Australia is set up, uh, Australia has got many states. Um, New South Wales is the biggest state, I believe. I think it is. Maybe WA might give it a run for its money. But in terms of um, how Service New South Wales sits within government, maybe you could tell us a little bit more around how it's structured and what kind of services it provides to the people of New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, New South Wales uh, is one of the states and, and uh, there's multiple then agencies, like government agencies within the state. And uh, Service New South Wales uh we started a cluster called Department of Customer Service. There might be too much detail in all this, but it is anyway. Hmm. And uh, in, it, it is a cluster, a mega cluster of agencies, but it also like, you know, then works with other agencies outside of the cluster. Uh, agencies like Transport, Office of Sports, Fair Trading, Revenue, Department of Communities and Justice. These are typical things. And what, what our customers, the residents of New South Wales, come to us for is, for example, to renew a driver's license 
I do a regio, a registration of a car. Yeah. As a couple of examples. And, um, and the, the value proposition of servicing shops was especially with the, the front door to, uh, government services on a state level. Mm. So there would be one place people go to in order to get, get these kind of, these type of services, uh, from, from New South Wales. Okay. So that's basically kind of a bit of an overview. Yeah, it's a bit like gov.uk in the UK for um for people in New South Wales effectively because New South Wales and I've just done a bit of a google there and WA is definitely the the biggest state in Australia for anyone listening there and they were shaking their heads at me WA is definitely the biggest um state in Australia um New South Wales I think uh, is the second or third or no it's actually it's the fourth believe it or not Queensland South Australia and then New South Wales so we were miles off Peter but um, tell us a little bit more around the the team that you have um, within Service New South Wales and how many people and what, what what kind of disciplines you have within the team. Yeah, happy to do that. And by the way, uh, Service New South Wales is an omni-channel uh, proposition, hmm. so it also has like you know, in comparison with UK, it, it, the similarities there. But we also have like you know, we have shop fronts. People can walk. Oh, that's the right. Center. Yeah. Yeah, and then they can also call, of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a true omnichannel environment. We also have even these mobile service centers. Yeah. That we can, uh, roll up for, for places that don't have, uh, them, uh, fixed, but we can, we can do them during, uh, different prices. So then mm. we can just like, you know, into, into rural areas, we can also roll, roll this out. I do remember that. I remember it was always a good experience. There was one in Kent Street, maybe not Kent Street. I'm I'm forgetting George Street, maybe in in the city, in Sydney. And from a service design perspective, it was always a great place to go and just experience it because that whole omni-channel experience in one physicality um, was always, you know, a a really positive experience for me because you just knew the same place you had to go and get your your rego sorted or if it was something through your license or whatever you could go to that one place so um it's good that you pointed out the omnichannel experience and speaking of the service design aspect of your role within service new south wales i just want to give a big shout out to the team at service new south wales because you just won a a huge award uh, and it's testament to the work that's going on at Sur- service new south wales from good design um so congratulations to you and the team peter yeah thank you i really appreciate that yeah, it was really good. I'm really happy for the team. And it was a cross-functional effort. It wasn't only about design. It was also about, like, you know, working across the different disciplines, not only mm-hmm. within digital, but as I said, also across the service centers and, and the call centers and, and, and the like. But yeah, we, we received a, a good, uh, good design award Australia in the service design category. So we got the gold award there. Awesome. And, um, and it was for, for something called Diamond Discover. Um, it, it, it was an interesting and, and quite successful initiative that we, we put together very quickly. Because, I mean, this was on the backside of, of, of the COVID, you know, the pandemic. And mm. um, we wanted to, like, the, the government wanted to start to stimulate the economy again. Yeah. People out and moving and going into restaurants and cafes and, and you know, also like doing entertainment, going to Luna Park, you probably remember Luna Park, these kinds of things. Mm. So then, uh, we made vouchers available for people, uh, uh, the residents of New South Wales. 
and you could uh, get those vouchers through uh, you know the school ability, and then you would have them available in a mobile device. Okay. And then you could go into a service center, and then you could get get the same voucher in a print form. Right. As well, so we really really like you know worked on the end-to-end experience, and uh, it had never been done before. It was the first time ever we we, we did anything like this. I was going to say it, I, I hadn't heard. It sounds um, I know there's. It's something in Dublin I, I haven't heard of, but it would be a fantastic initiative to roll out to, you know, the pubs and the restaurants in, in Ireland uh, and probably the UK as well. I think everyone is saying they would love vouchers to go out and experience restaurants and experience new food as well. And it's it's great that it was an, um, you, you did the, the, the sort of the paper based vouchers as well for people who aren't smartphone enabled. It sounds like that was something that was really important to the team at Service New South Wales. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing also to remember that they needed to also provide the capability for the businesses to receive yeah. the vouchers. So it wasn't only for the customers, but also the businesses. And um, there was like you know, there was almost one billion dollars that were injected into New South Wales economy wow. because of it. That's amazing. It's a lot of lot of money. Yeah. And how did you determine? How, how did you determine the the amount of vouchers that could be used in a restaurant in one sitting and stuff. Was that something that was at the restaurant level or was that something at the the initiative level? It was initiative level, yeah. So the Treasury uh, gave a recommendation and and then for resident there was there was a certain amount of dollars that were distributed. And then you could redeem them in, in cafes and restaurants and, and as I said in for entertainment as well. So that's kind of how it how it was done from that perspective. Okay, so and um, is that something that's going to be continued to you rolled out, or has it expired? Uh, that that program has already finished, but on the back of that program, because it was such a success, there was also similar vouchers that we we follow the basic principles uh, or mm. like something for for example, third class. If you have a small child, you can get access to swimming lessons uh, using a similar kind of approach. Yeah. I was going to say so the framework could be reapplied into lots of different areas. Exactly, exactly. And we are doing that. So we are, we are providing, we are, we are developing something that is more resembling a vouchers as a service um, for for multiple agencies. So this is what, uh, it's not only treasury, but there could be office of sport, for example, yeah. that want to roll out something. So, or yeah. Department of Education or, or something like that. Absolutely. So kudos to the team. It sounds like it's a it's a great initiative. But we're going to focus a little bit more on um, you know your own career today, Peter, because uh, when I got to know you, you were at Atlassian. Um, and then after Atlassian, you went to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC uh, in Sydney, um, where you worked for a number of years. And then you went to Westpac, um and then in between that there was a couple of roles but now you're at service new south wales so you've had a number of pretty major design roles in the last decade i'd say and we're going to talk a little bit more around design at scale and your experience of working within and in those organizations about trying to implement design at scale um which organization do you feel that you've had the most experience and the most challenges i guess uh, trying to implement design uh, approaches to the organization? So I think there are similarities and there are differences. I mean, in a way, there's more like similarities. Okay. Um, I think, because, I mean, 
when you when you operate on a bigger scale, uh, the challenges are more on the lines of of how do you establish design in in the organization to be a relevant uh, player, mm. and it's kind of in a way irrelevant what industry vertical that you go into. Is it finance? Is it media? Yeah. Is it government? Uh, the problems themselves uh, might be different in nature, but then, then how you need to approach has a lot of uh, mm. similarities. So I think it's really about demonstrating the value that design can bring as a collaborative force. Not mm. so going in and saying that, like, you know, but if we do design, everything will be nirvana. Uh, but it's about, like, you know, going in and saying that, like, you know, we are here to collaborate, let's work on this together. And this is what design can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And this is something that has been in, in those, those environments that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and it's important. Had. It's important to point out that all those organizations that we've just listed have a legacy in terms of design and they've they've used design successfully for you know 20, 30, 40 years. And in the ABC's case, probably even longer. Um so it's not like you're starting at you know the grassroots level or like the bottom rung in the, the the Danish design ladder or anything like that. But when you go into an organization, say Service New South Wales at the moment, again, they've had um, a lot of experience with CX and service design over the years. Um, what does it mean, design at scale within the lens of Service New South Wales? So... Um... I would say that one thing is that you understand the environment where you operate, but this is equally also then you apply for Westpac. Mm. Um, so, what is what is the what is the value chain? How does it like? How is it determined? Uh, follow the money. Where does it begin? Also described, uh, it's very much about the relationship between the, the government agencies. How the work is determined coming in. How you kind of commence with discovery. Mm. And who you who who do you do the discovery with? You need to involve the agencies. You need to involve also like you know the uh, frontline staff, digital channels, and, and so forth in the discovery phase, and then go into define and develop and deliver. Mm. So it's very much about collaboration on on scale. Yeah, because it's a simple thing if you think about like you know if you would be in a smaller agency or a smaller organization. Yeah, you basically know every, everyone there. Yeah, you know, and you don't need to. You, you can see basically everyone in a room, and and you know everyone by name. Yeah, but you really need to spend much more time in establishing uh, how you collaborate. Who are the people? Who should you involve? Who should be consulted? Who should be informed? Who are really accountable? Yeah, who are really responsible in the mix? So, and that's the, that's the key difference, really, when you can cooperate on, on, on scale. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it it totally does. But when you're working in an organization, say, like Westpac, where I think we mentioned there's 50,000 employees there, and there's going to be people in there that have design in their title that may not actually be designers. And how do you identify um, all of those people, first of all, and... Yeah, I guess maybe start off with that. Like, how, how do you de- identify the designers within the organization that could effectively be part of the, the broader tribe, so to speak? That's a good question. I mean, always when I go in into a new environment, 
I start by like you know identifying um, through conversations who are the people yeah. across different business units, uh, different practice areas, leaders, engineers, leaders like you know frontline staff. Go through the organization quite methodically uh, and 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 use those conversations to identify who are the people. Mm-hmm. And and what is important for the organization? Do you map those conversations out? Is that something that uh, at a scale for like Westpac and Service New South Wales, I, I would see huge value in a visualization of those kind of people. Um, how do you handle that in terms of being able to visualize and manage them? I mean, I do a stakeholder map usually mm. around it. Um, and then I also like, you know, I synthesize the, the information so that I try to identify common themes that I see across and also like areas of opportunity where I could step in and, and help out. Yeah. I also try to avoid, especially when you go in as a new person, um, to, to draw too quickly conclusions yeah. and come with recommendations. But I would rather like hold back and try to understand the environment properly before before like, you know, doing recommendations or having that action imperative, you know, that you need to really like immediately jump and do something. Mm. Uh, try to avoid that. I think that's really quite important. Have you any experience of working with organizations who they may believe that they already have design at scale and you're coming at it from a different perspective where you, you may feel that, you know, you're at a different level to them um, where they perceive they're at versus where they're actually at? Uh, yes, I would say so. It's a bit of a trick question. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could turn it around and ask yourself the question, are there many companies today that say that they are not customer-centered? Yeah. Everybody says that they're very much like, you know, human-centered or customer-centered. But then when you double click and you go in and then you start to ask questions that when did you actually conduct research with customers the last time? Yeah. Or when did you meet with a customer? And or what is that is that based on uh, your assumption that we are talking about? Is it based on, on insights of some sort? Or a poster on the wall. And, and <laughs> Exactly. That's yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's too often that you know the the cool offices and the cool posters on the wall that um, tell the people that are working in there and the, the values that they're they're currently meant to live by, but they're actually not really doing it often enough is is a huge thing. W- one of the things about design at scale, uh, Peter, and again, you may have experience with this or you may not, but um, the 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 lens of growth. Um, within design is, is a huge issue that I feel isn't given enough credence uh, in terms of how you use design to basically stimulate uh, innovation for capital gain. You know, So when you're working in places that, that are banks, their main um, sort of focus will be on generating money, obviously, because they're, they're a bank and that's what they do. But when you're working in a service New South Wales environment and you're working within government, the the values kind of shift a little bit. Um, how do you feel the the kind of principles of design at scale shift between those two kind of different types of organizations? So I think it's always uh, quite important to go in and 
try to identify what is the true currency, mm. what is the like real value, how the organization really think is the primary reason why they exist. Mm. And uh, to give an example of this in 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 certain media landscapes, uh, you look at like ratings. You know how how many people actually watch television. Mm-hmm. And that can be also like an interesting currency, especially from digital perspective. Yeah. This is just this is just one example. And and then when you go into into the finance industry, it's pretty straightforward in a sense because it's still the revenue. That's the like, you know, the ultimate ultimate like, you know, objective there. Yeah. Then when you go into government, then you can start to think about what could be the currency over there. Um, is it is it customer satisfaction? How do you how do you determine that? Or is it political currency? Is it the political like you know benefit the currency? Mm. What is it? And it takes some time for you to to understand that. And and usually there's one key thing here. There could be multiple, but usually there's one thing. Mm. Once you kind of identify that, it's easier easier for you to operate. Yeah, that's kind of the that's the petrol of the organization. That's that's the thing that keeps keep people thinking. Really. Okay, um, it's it's interesting. Like when I'm I'm thinking about design at scale in places like Service New South Wales, um, how do you measure improvements and how do you measure um, the North Star, so to speak? I, I know you mentioned there a little bit more around um, the currency and stuff like that. But how do you know that incrementally you're getting closer to those goals? So we have a very good reputation in service New South Wales uh, for delivery. Mm. So we are we are quick to to deliver. Uh, if there is like a flood, if there's a bushfire, if there's like even a pandemic, uh, we are expected to quickly react to those situations. So we get actually help out there to people. So in that sense, we are like nothing else in government. Mm. This government at times has a bit of a reputation of being quite slow. So I think that's that's a key key value. Yeah. And then there also, the, of course, the quality that we actually truly help people in those situations uh, is extremely important for, for us uh, as an organization. Yeah, and I mean and that's something like you know that's a, that's a purpose really, and I think organizations require that purpose. They do. And the more the purpose is genuine, uh, the more people are willing to also go the extra mile. Hmm. I mean, another metric there would be the speed to deliver. I know you mentioned there about being delivery focused, but if you mentioned Dine and Discover, I think was the name of the project. Um, and a pandemic and being able to restructure and reorganize and and yet deliver something that is award-winning and meeting the, the needs of restaurants and the people of New South Wales. I think the speed and being able to respond to those new challenges is a huge metric that um, is testament to the work. I mean, that's a huge, um, powerful indicator. It is, it is. But then we also need to remember that when you d- deliver something, it's only the beginning. So then mm. you, you you need to take into consideration. Then you have iterative improvements. Yeah, we're still talking about like you know 
agile delivery if we are talking about product design design mm. and delivery so once something goes out to the market we're also looking at how this is performing in the market yeah and then based on that we also like you know they're rolling out new releases on an ongoing basis yeah and this happens in multiple channels at the same time so we are we are like really paying attention how we are performing in the market yeah but the primary is that we get something out there and that's excellent because too much of design um i feel anyway and i've had some conversations about this recently um with ricardo martins in um scad savannah college of art and design in the us is around the implementation of service design projects and the implementation of design within the organization so let's talk about the dine dine and discover project because you know as designers um and as organizations we love the shiny new thing we love you know creating and building and uh releasing these new things so with the D- dine and discover project you know the design team was involved with that they they co-created i'm sure lots many parts of it and they released it out into the market what role would would you have in enabling the the iterative process moving forward like what kind of key hires what kind of people did you have to bring into the project like for instance product managers or whatever it was to manage that moving forward i mean they were like you know we must remember that this is very much a cross-functional yeah so it's not about design alone at all yeah, it's really about desirability, viability, and feasibility, yeah. and getting those people together. So there was a lot of uh, very clever engineers, very clever product managers, and and um, designers involved. Yeah, and there was like a upfront piece, uh, which was about to discover, really understanding, going deep, quite quickly, on on uh, are we approaching the problem space? Yeah, in the appropriate way. Yeah, you know, understanding is this the right design, mm. and and in that stage we were more service designers and we got product designers more and more involved with it as well at yeah. the same time, and product management and there were also technical people looking into it, and then so once we had like a bit of a confidence around it, then we started to look at like you know. Uh, how do you actually then build something like this? Mm. And now you need to remember one thing. There's all sorts of things involved here. There's multiple channels. There's a chatbot. There's mobile. There's web. There's also like in you know, a proof of identity. There's a my account. Mm. You know, uh, integration that needs to happen. So altogether, there was like you know, many, many, many product teams involved. In, in this. the end-to-end uh, diner discover uh, customer journey. Okay. And as I said, we were not only like you know looking at customers, but also businesses. Yeah. And then we had uh, the additional channels on top. So, so it was quite quite an orchestration, uh, uh, basically. I would say so. So with this project and it being so successful, and we mentioned about how we can reuse those patterns. Uh, into other industries you mentioned about swimming lessons and and so forth there's a huge opportunity there for um the organization to capitalize on on that excellent discovery piece and that excellent implementation piece what role would design have um moving forward um w- would the same designers be involved throughout this or are they they removed from that project and put on other projects what does that look like in terms of service new south wales so if you think about 
far is from the customer journey perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have product teams, as I mentioned, that would be like, you know, responsible for proof of identity. Yeah. So proof of identity needs to still happen as part of a voucher's journey. Yeah. So if it's a new type of a voucher, like, you know, uh, as I said, first, first lap, you still need to do the POI. But that product team then improves their roadmap. Mm. And, and that, that feature set will be applied then to that customer journey. Okay. That new feature set. So that's kind of how the orchestration happens. Yeah. So, uh, and then you have the end-to-end uh, vouchers roadmap on top of it that takes all of these product teams into consideration and what they have to have, uh, what they have to offer. Nice. That's basically how it kind of like, you know, works. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a, I'm sure there's a huge case study to be done in the behavioral changes as well and the benefits to the businesses and the benefits to the economy. There's, there's different zoom levels that we can apply here to, to how we would evaluate that single initiative. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting, but just going back to the design at scale conversation, um, what does it look like from an executive level in terms of, um, and this is from your perspective, looking at executive levels, um, what kind of indicators are you looking for, um, when you're trying to drive design at scale in an organization like Service New South Wales? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I suppose this question of the buy into design, yeah. you know, in the sense that if, if it's considered to be uh, decorative or is it something that is more strategic in nature. Mm. And uh, I would still say that there's very few environments where kind of more strategic design is, is really considered properly. Yeah. So it's somewhere probably on that Danish ladder in the middle. Mm. And, and I don't think we ever can how very you, you don't come to a set table and uh, especially also like when you kind of come in into a role like mine uh, you need to also look at the environment and adapt to the environment and see what, where does it make sense for you to start to play but if I if I would say that like you know one thing that I would look at is how genuine is is the the customer attention to the customer and the customer value delivery. Hmm. So is it only skin deep? Is it only like superficial? Try to understand uh, what kind of initiatives have been done around this. Is there is there research? Is the research done on a regular basis? Hmm. Are decisions made based on evidence that is based on research? Yeah. These are the things that really indicate uh, to me where as a design leader, you should step in and start to influence. Yeah. And we, with those conversations, Peter, um, it can be quite hard to approach them due to the, the, the power structures and the hierarchy and the legacy that they may have within the organization. What role um, would you have or just the organization have in educating and training those executives to be able to make those um, objective decisions around design and innovation? So, I mean, it can take many shapes and forms. I mean, usually you establish a relationship with, with a fellow human being and yeah. then you start to talk about things from your perspective and, and, and you try to understand the, the, your colleague also mm. what are the things that this person needs and, and appreciates 
and, and then you can start to talk about the things that you can bring to the table. Yeah. And uh, then if you would do something on, on a bigger scale, if you look at the, the whole organization, so what I have done before, not by any means only by myself, but with the team, is that we have had like, you know, design immersions for the whole organization, mm. where you kind of look at the organization chart and you ensure that you bring people in from the different divisions, the different uh, P&Ls, into the immersion and, and you expose them yeah. to uh, customers, customer research. Not in the sense that they, they, they only hear about it, that somebody hosts a presentation, but ideally that they conduct research uh, in, in, as part of an immersion. They mm-hmm. develop concepts as part of this immersion and they even test those concepts with real customers. Yeah. And that's the most effective way of, 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 of driving that type of a change, which is basically at the end of the day that we, we design for, for human beings and their needs. Yeah. And we need to understand those needs. Absolutely. And, and for us, it's pretty straightforward, and that's what we do for a living. But for, for other people, they've never been exposed to anything like that. Yeah. And once you kind of expose them, they get really excited. Absolutely. It's really good. They love it. They I, just want to do it more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always remember, uh, Peter, in a bank in Australia, um, when I was working at an executive, I wasn't an executive, but I was working with the executives. And I had to go and do a presentation based on the validation of an initiative for that bank. And all of them came down into the garage where all the innovation happened. And they came down in their suits and um, they're all in the lobby. And I went out and I got them. And one by one, they started to take off their ties and take off their, their jackets and rolling their sleeves up. And they were like, oh, it's so good to be in a... In this space, it's like I don't need to wear my tie, and it was I was just like completely uh, in stitches, laughing because everyone wants to be relaxed, and it was like a two different uh, environments where they were coming from a very kind of sterile office into a garage where we were going to look at research, and it was a much more relaxed environment. So um, it is an addictive thing, and a lot of the, those executives that I did work with at that point. Um, they wanted to get that level of kind of comfort and re- relaxed environment to to do design and innovation, and many of them left. <laughs> so, it's uh, it's interesting to hear when you when you're talking about the executives that you're working with that they love it, they they love this work. Yeah, I mean, just like you know, other examples. I think it's a question of exposing as many people in in our organization the human centered design methods. Mm. And customers, especially, or users, you know, the forever debate, users, customers, and all that. But, and, and you can, you can do it through these kinds of immersions, as I said. But there could also be like, you know, things where you, where you, where you kind of, when you conduct, uh, research around concepts and you do it online. Yeah. Or even if you do it in, in, in like, you know, meeting rooms or in, in, in labs, you stream it so that many people can watch it. Yeah, uh, in the organizations, people get together even into rooms and watch it. Watch it as a team, like yeah. a bit like going to the movies and have mm-hmm. popcorn with them. Yeah. It happens. You've done that, have like, you? you know, yeah, yeah, I've done it yeah, a couple of times in Finland and, and and over here as well. So, and I think it's really powerful because then it kind of generates that conversation that, oh, 
really, I didn't see that coming. I mean, did you see what the, that customer did there? I mean, that's so unexpected. Yeah. You know, and these kinds of things. And then the team start to talk with each other and they start to like, you know, bounce off ideas and so on. And then you always need to remind them that if it's, by the way, just one customer we, we did this interview with, and we need to look at multiple in order to draw really conclusions. So yeah. that's the first one. I, I love that. Um cinema-esque experience of of sharing the uh sharing the progress and sharing the research and stuff it's a it's that's a really positive idea and something that i'm sure many of our listeners will will find value and you could make it into a a special event to for people to look forward to um to sharing these research especially when you mix in popcorn and, and other things to encourage them to attend yeah exactly but you, you remember to have your consent forms of course of course you mentioned there about um educating the the broader teams about human-centered design what role does training and enablement play in maintaining those skills because i've seen a lot of consultancies push people in front of a screen and uh, answer q a's multiple questions and then they get a little certificate badge which is all very nice for them. And then they share it on LinkedIn and really it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the organization. It just, it's a, it's a pseudo um, training. I'd love to get your thoughts on how you can actually mitigate that, that kind of approach to, to scaling design within those organizations, but also how are you currently doing that at Service New South Wales? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we currently at Service New South Wales, um, we are like, you know, working with a couple of, of providers that are quite deep experts in certain areas. Mm. Uh, one is, for example, accessibility. Yeah. So we are rolling out accessibility training, uh, for designers, for engineers, and for product managers. And, and we are rolling them out, this training out for a cohort. Mm. So they are like commonalities that run across. But they are very specific things that engineers need to think about. And very specific things that designers and product managers need to think about. Yeah. And how we did this, uh, we, we approached it as a design project. So we did, uh, you know, interviews across the business. We understood what is the current state, uh, what, what people understand today and what are the aspirations and where would they like to go. And then we very much tailor the training, uh, for that particular environment. Hmm. And then we, we planned it and then we rolled it out. And then once, once people now then, uh, do accessible and inclusive research, we also provide supportive mechanisms, uh, for them. So they don't know, even though they have been going through the training, how, how, for example, uh, to, to test with, with people with, uh, uh, vision impairment, hmm. uh, they wouldn't do it then alone, but they're also supported by, by true accessibility SMEs when they conduct this research. Okay. It's like testing. So this is one example. Um, but it's hard work and you need to do it like, you know, uh, with a more determined mindset. You shouldn't approach it superficially. But you should, when you, when you do training, especially on scale, understand the problem space first. Don't just take something off the shelf and imagine that it works, but try to first understand the environment. And then you create a tailored experience, uh, a learning experience. Nice. That, that would be my, 
my advice for it. Yeah. And we are doing the same thing, not only for accessibility, but we also like, you know, doing it for, uh, evidence-based decision making. So both, mm-hmm. both from quant and quo, uh, uh, perspective. Okay. So we are working with, with, uh, a good service design organization as well as one of the uh, tech giants, uh, more from the, uh, quant perspective. Yeah. And, uh, we also like, you know, working with, uh, uh workshop facilitation. So how do you plan for workshops and how do you, how do you facilitate them effectively? Yeah. And we, we also providing this type of training, uh, as everything so far. Nice. Well, look, Peter, um, I've had a great conversation with you today and I, I want to thank you for giving me your time and energy and your openness for answering a lot of those questions. I'm sure the listeners will have great, uh, interest and some of them may have questions for you. So if they do want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? LinkedIn probably. Yeah. It's the place. Okay. Yeah. So I'll throw a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. Um and you know, stand by because I'm sure there's people going to be asking you lots of questions about about your wonderful experience. And again, congratulations from everyone here at this is ATD on the Good Design Award. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. It was a pleasure talking with you. As always. Really enjoyed <laughs> talking with you. And there you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more, why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there. Thanks again for listening.